The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 119. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, Miri. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Folks, remember to share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community of Trekkies. This is a great community we have here. We have lots of great listeners, and we just want to keep growing and reaching more folks with this great show. So we really do appreciate it when you share it. So we're talking about Miri. This is a first season episode of Star Trek, and it uh, aired at the end of October 1966 originally. And it's the 11th episode of the series, although there are several different chronological formulations of how (laughs) these... So we're going by the one that I've decided on. Uh, It's not the Netflix version order. It's not... I don't know what... I don't know what the different orders are, but I'm... I've arbitrarily decided this is the way we're... I think it's production order, the order yeah, in which they were, they were created. Right. So um, it may not be as they but it's how they produce them. It's interesting. This this episode feels like a uh, cost-saving episode. Because, a little bit. Because it gave an excuse to use existing Old West-style backcountry backlots. Oh, this is a very specific backlot, oh, yeah. by the way. Yes. yes, it is. It's you Mayberry. Know. It, yeah, Mayberry has really gotten run down since yeah. Sheriff Taylor retired. <laughs> we also don't have most of our regular cast. Right. Right. So this 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 was clearly meant to be what commonly call like a bottle episode where it's meant to be a very cheap, easy to throw together episode where they don't have to build new sets, they don't have to, you know, it's just you set put make the sets look the way you want to and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, we know it no super alien locations and that sort of stuff. And the guest cast is pulling in child scale wages. Well, yeah. in fact, they uh, they were able to uh, cheap out by having most of the actors who had kids bring their children. So you have William Shatner's yeah. two daughters, Gene Roddenberry's <laughs> kids, Grace Lee Whitney's son, I think. A couple of them. Yeah. And uh, Leonard Nimoy refused to bring his kids. He didn't want his son, Adam, to be involved in show business at all. He didn't want his kids involved mm-hmm. in show business, which is ironic given that Adam is now a director and directed an episode of TNG and <laughs> so, that's funny but uh, but he he had a show business but it's interesting yeah Shatner's daughter Lizbeth was the little girl he holds at at that end scene which we'll get to where he's confronting the children he she's the one he's holding in his arms oh sure so and apparently she kept like l- laughing and smiling at daddy <laughs> he's like no <laughs> we're pretty pretend so it starts with the Enterprise gets a an SOS, a, a uh, Earth-style distress signal. Literally an SOS in Morse yes. code. Yep. Yes, literally SOS. 
Uh, and then they they go to this planet nearby that's out where further beyond than anyone's ever explored from Earth before. And it's literally an Earth duplicate planet, which the original series had several episodes where the Enterprise found exact or near exact duplicates right. of Earth. Sometimes due to cultural contamination, but yeah. Right. Well, like, so the yeah, there was the, the gangster one where it was cultural contamination. Yeah, and the Nazi one. Yes. Right. Yeah, the Nazi one. But then there was the one, the Bread and Circuses, I think it was, which is yes. they found the, the Roman Empire in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there was another one where they found an Earth where the Chinese communists had, like, thwarted the, had conquered America yes. and stuff. The Yanks um, and the comms. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the American Indian episode. And we have, <laughs> we've got a lot of parallel Earth stuff going on. I mean, it's not always this exact, but we've yeah, got right. a lot of that. And really, that kind of bespeaks to the nature of Star Trek originally. It had a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah. And this is this is essentially a Twilight Zone episode about, because it's 300 years in the future, which is what they eventually, or the planet they visit got destroyed 300 years ago. Civilization fell 300 years ago. And they've established that Star Trek is 300 years in our future. And they kind of had a sense of that at the time. Mm-hmm. So this is like, what if in the 20th century there had been this life extension project that went wrong and a virus got released from a lab in Wuhan, China and <laughs> devastated the population <laughs> and and how things yes. could all go wrong with biological research? Yes, it, this this strikes to, close to home in 2020. Well, it, it's interesting, too, because I think if they told this story today, it would be the Enterprise ended up in a parallel universe where this is a parallel Earth right. instead of a you know an exact developed planet. And it, it's so exact that they actually took like the NASA footage of Earth, which, of course, at that time was the most revolutionary thing in the world to actually have right. you know video footage of the planet from space. Right. And they, that's what they saw on the view screen. Was right actual yeah. Earth? Yeah, I just want to say, and I actually posted a meme on this some months ago that if Doctor McCoy was around, he would have already developed a vaccine for COVID nineteen and tested it on himself already. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, as as you mentioned, uh, no Uhura, no Scotty, no Sulu in this episode. In fact, there's some other dude sitting at communications. Uh, who doesn't do nearly as good a job and doesn't look nearly as good as Nichelle Nichols. Uh, well, and she was meant to be in it, but they rewrote it for this other guy at the last minute. But it was originally going to be Uhura. Uh, Janice Rand happens to be on the bridge. And so Kirk uh, decides we're going to take an away team. We're going to beam down to the origin of the distress signal. I'm taking uh, Spock, McCoy, three, two security guards, and a yeoman? Like, sure. why? Because <laughs> she we, happened to be... You, 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 you. And you. <laughs> we need someone for Mary to be jealous of. That's right. That's right. That's that's why she's there. We, we And we didn't have any female scientists to bring down. Even cold fish ones. Remember that from uh, from the cage? So, Walking freezer unit. Right. <laughs> so uh, we mentioned that, that it was shot on the exterior sets from the Andy Griffith show in Mayberry. It's the first outdoor shoot of the series after the pilot, after the cage. Mm. So they had they had not done any outdoor shooting so far, which is interesting. Everything's been a soundstage. Yeah, uh, and this is also going to be the set they use in Return of the Archons. So it's mm-hmm. like, wow, festival really got out of hand. <laughs> uh, apparently, Desi Lu Studios owned this huge something called the Back Forty. Um, yeah, the forty-acre back lot. Yeah. Uh, so it, 
They determine it looks like about 1960 on Earth, but it's been deteriorating for 300 years. So, like you said, it, it, so the the pace of development between the two worlds was the same. They don't worry. They don't wonder too much about how could is it possible that we have an exact duplicate Earth that doesn't really enter into anything at all. We just kind they, of move past they hang, that. They hang a lantern on it though, mm-hmm. which is what you do so you can move past it. In the in the captain's log, Kirk says it seems inconceivable, but we found an exact duplicate of Earth. Yes, uh, again or. For the first time, <laughs> but not yeah. the last time. So McCoy stops to look at a kid's bike that's in the street, and uh, when he does, he's attacked by this zombie-looking guy who says, mine, mine, and he sounds like a child. And after beating him senseless, uh, <laughs> he starts crying over the broken bike or after beating McCoy, yep. and then he has a seizure and dies, and McCoy says his metabolic rate is so high, it's like he's aged a century in a few minutes. So, um, uh, so it, that's going to... Kind of, so when you get the plague, all of the life extension stuff that's been keeping you alive for centuries suddenly reverses itself all at once, apparently. Yeah, it's like a rubber band, I guess. Yes. But I want to know just the really delinquent biological decontamination protocols <laughs> that were exercised on this beam down. Yes. And also they failed to scan for life forms, so they didn't know if anyone was alive on this planet. It's like, man, stuff that protocol in the Enterprise is really slipping, and it's only the first season. Yeah. Well, apparently Spock is also in charge of driving the ship, so... Because at several times, Kirk gives the order to like warp or move into orbit to Spock, so he's got his hands full, and he just really doesn't have time to do all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, by the way, notice when the zombie guy dies, McCoy says he had a seizure of some type. Of some type, yes. Yeah. Not of yeah. some kind. <laughs> yeah. Some kind of seizure. Important <laughs> difference. Yes. So they uh, they hear noises uh, in the buildings, and so that keeps the, the, the whole away team running back and forth. Uh, they eventually go into a house. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's comical. They, like, hear a creak, and they charge across the street. Mm-hmm. And they hear another creak, and they charge across <laughs> yeah. the other side of the street. <laughs> How about you stay here, okay? Stop running after me. You stay here, and I'll go over there. <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they, they go into this house, and they find uh, this girl, a basically preteen, just about teen girl. That's an important part of the plot. She's hiding in a closet. She's terrified of them, because, mm-hmm. and she calls them grups. And interesting, this common trope that you often get in stories of this style, where Children who've been isolated develop a divergent language, you mm-hmm. know, and so grups are grown-ups, onlys are the children, games are called foolies, the past is the before time. And you know what this reminded me of was the Enterprise episode that we yeah. talked about, Terra Nova, which did similar things. Very similar, very similar uh, idea. And it's going to happen again in the Gangster episode and in the Space Hippies episode. And divergent vocabularies are, you know, actually realistic. And kids do come up with their own slang. And you leave kids alone for 300 years, actually, they're not going to be speaking English recognizably anymore. (laughs) That's true. That's true. While we're talking about Miri, uh, Miri was played by Kim Darby, who, if you're a John Wayne fan, was Maddie Ross in True Grit. Yeah, I, I was going to also wanted to say really nice performance by Kim yes. Darby here as Miri. Yeah. She there's a lot of emotional depth to this role. She was only as an actress in her late teens at the time. And they put her in this yeah. kind of shapeless 
bag of a dress to hide her figure so she could play a 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. But And she doesn't quite look 12, but she does a good job of playing a little girl who's just beginning to think about boys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she's, it's a really sensitive performance. I really liked her performance. Yes. But it does make uh, Captain Kirk really creepy in this well, because yes. he's hit, starting to basically hit Anna. <laughs> well, it's I cool. wanted to talk about that because, I I mean, in light of what a hound dog Captain Kirk is in other episodes, I mean, that's what he would become. And it's really easy to read his interactions with Miri in that light. But right. I don't think that's meant. In this episode, I think he's meant to be like this fatherly figure who's right. trying to build her up and trying to befriend her because initially she's terrified of them. Right. And so he does what he can think of to help build her confidence in them by telling them, oh, what a pretty young woman you are and things like that. So I think it's meant to be innocent. And, and, and I think there's evidence for that in the script because initially they have to tell him it's like everybody else has noticed that Miri is sweet on him but him. Right. And it's like, Jim, she likes you. <laughs> right. Um, right. It, remember, he's a mid-30s single guy who probably hasn't had a lot of ex, you know, exposure to oh, yeah. children and that sort of thing. So he's, and, and, and he's, when he sees a girl, he has one way of interacting with them. And so he's doing it on the, <laughs> on the, the nicer end of things. He's, he's not yeah. consciously trying to uh, lead her on. By the way, one aspect, and we mentioned this just before we started recording, but one aspect of the show that I like, speaking of altered language and parallels with mm-hmm. Earth, Miri's name, M-I-R-I, Miri, is clearly meant to be a parallel for Mary. Yes. And so if she was on our Earth, she would have been called Mary. And maybe back in 1960, she was called Mary. Yeah. Yep. And her name has just mutated into Miri over the last 300 years. Yep. We also later will meet a character named. John, spelled in, I guess, in the script J A H N, which is supposed to be an analog for John. And so we have Mary and John as right. Mary and John. <laughs> John. You must be from Boston. So <laughs> I could say that because I'm from Boston. So uh, <laughs> Mary tells him that the Grups got sick and died after going crazy. Meanwhile, Spock and the Red Shirts are chasing the children around outside. And get pelted with rocks and get taunted. Nyan, they nyan, pelted nyan, us nyan. with rocks and garbage. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Kirk asks Miri to lead them to a laboratory. And it makes sense because they beam down to where the, the distress signal was coming from. So there, there must have been some sort of headquarters for something dealing with whatever emergency mm-hmm. happened on this planet in this location. So that, that makes some sense that, the, that there would be a laboratory nearby. She sees the mark of the plague on him, the, the whatever it is that killed everybody. They all have it except Spock. Why haven't the symptoms appeared on Mr. Spock? Because uh, he's not human? Yeah. Like, it's kind of common not to jump species, but all right. By the way, the way the plague begins its manifestation before you go crazy mm-hmm. is you get, like, purple splotches on your body, although they call yep. them blue. In So I don't know what the original looked like in on 1960s color television. Mm-hmm. They apparently were going for blue, but to me they look purple with like a red penumbra around yeah. them. And they're actually pretty creepy looking. They look like yep. purple blisters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they they did a good job with them. I mean, for plastic stuck onto actors in 1963, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's... Or 60, 67. 67, yeah, yes. 
and remember what NTSC stood for back then. NTSC is the the, the, the broadcast the format. Never yeah. the same color. <laughs> right, right. NTSC was a very much a patch of color on black and white, which is why you could still use black and white TVs back then. Right. And still, until they moved to digital, you could actually hook up a old black and white TV and catch NTSC signals and watch shows because it just basically was a patch on top of it. That's, you can't do that now. In fact, all the gold uh, shirts the command staff are wearing were actually green, but yeah. Right. So uh, we find out that, you know, that we're told the older you are, the faster the plague will spread. And McCoy being the old man of the group is uh, getting it fastest. They find records that show that the plague was caused, as we said, by a life prolongation project gone wrong. Spock figures out that as the children enter puberty, they contract the disease. They haven't yet figured out how old the kids are yet. It takes them a while to figure that out. (laughs) Yes. Like, where are all these children coming from after everybody's been dead for 300 years? Yeah. Uh, So uh, they they wonder why, they, they kind of ask why, why is Miri hanging out with us if if she's always been this wild child who's raised you know essentially as a you know raised by wolves sort of thing? Uh, and Kirk says, I don't know, loneliness, curiosity, and then he says something insightful, which is I think children have an instinctive need for adults; they want to be told right from wrong. And I, Kirk has several times I, I've noticed in the first season come out with some of these nuggets that are really kind of yeah, that's that's actually right. Like you wouldn't yep. get this sort of thing. A lot of times in modern TV shows, but Kirk's got this sort of old-fashioned, traditional point of view on things. Which yeah, is, he and he probably gets those nuggets with his sense ores. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sense ores. That's uh, if you if you're a patron, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, that's from Lower Decks. <clears throat> so uh, Spock and McCoy then point out, no, no, as, as we mentioned, she's a teen girl and she's sweet on you, Jim, as she keeps calling him. Well, I mean, he, he, that's what he told her to call yeah. him. So, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, he does keep giving her things to clean up and stuff. Mary, go clean up the desk and, and get us some coffee, will you? Sharpen <laughs> yeah. some more pencils. Sharpen some pencils, yeah. Sharpen some pencils. Keep, keep her busy. So, Spock finds out the experiment was supposed to let them, the people on the planet, age one month for every 100 years that passes. And that's when they realize the kids are immensely old. Mm. And uh, you, we get the, like, Janice goes, that little girl? And Spock says, is at least 300 years older than you are, Yeoman. Think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for turning the knife there, Mr. Heartless Vulcan. (laughs) Wow. She's going to stay. She'll still be young when you're old and gray. Uh, So the, uh, the kids are led by an older boy named John. I'll just call him John because it's obnoxious. Played by Michael J. Pollard, who is, he was also a young guy at the time and he's got a very distinctive face. Yeah. He's it's, he's not proportioned the way most folks are. So he's got this very distinctive look, and he, I think, comes across nicely mm-hmm. as the leader of the Onlys. I think he does a really good job with, with his performance, too. He, he is naturally suspicious of all of the grups, given what happened here 300 years ago. Yep. And he's just trying to protect the kids from a yep. childlike perspective. I mean, he's... He's clearly not 12 years old, but that's what he's meant to be in right. terms of his yeah. physical and intellectual development. In real life, he was 27 when playing yeah. this role. Wow. <laughs> but that facial structure lets him get away with looking like a kid. And yeah. He, and I he, mean, he, he, he's yeah. one of those actors you see in a lot of things where he plays kind of the impish kid or the impish young adult type. Right. He, he, he was, was in an, 
he was in an episode of Superboy or something called yes. like Meet Meet Mix, Mr. Mixelplick, and I I didn't look up to see what part he played, but man, he would have been perfect for Mr. Mixelplick. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he's also d- done Lost in Space, the original, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's got that baby face that just doesn't age. Yeah, yeah. So the kids plot to isolate the away team members and steal their communicators because those are obviously something important to them, and so for plot reasons. They real the so John realizes there are other grups somewhere maybe up in the sky, and they're talking to them on these boxes. And because grups are dangerous, we need to thwart their plan. So let's steal their phones. Right. Yep. Don't and and this is a huge thing in this episode. They've got like so Spock tells them we've got 170 hours, so basically a week yep. before we all die, except for me. But and I can't go back to the ship because I'm a carrier, but I want to go back to the ship, so that means I want to cure. Otherwise, I wouldn't care about the rest of you because I'm a Vulcan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but they let the so after the phones are stolen, they let days go by bef- without seeming to try to retrieve them. Right. And this is like a huge, this is the ticking clock of we've got to get those communicators back and so forth. And it turns out they don't need them back because of what happens anyway. Mm-hmm. But that's the drama here. And it's like, okay, number one, if you're out of communication for days, the ship is going to just beam down more phones. <laughs> right. yeah, there you go. Or a robot to ask, to see what's happening. I mean, send down a malp and take a look around. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't need to wait days. You have phasers that they didn't take. Set them on wide field stun, stun all of these kids, and get your phones back. Well, I want to kind of jump back for a second. But the uh, the thing that drove me crazy was the fact that... uh, No, I'll I'll get to it in a second when I I describe the scene. But but first, Kirk and Mary go to see the kids, right? They show up Mm -hmm. at the toy store where the other kids are hiding. But before they, he can talk to them, they're attacked by another girl, this time a girl teen with the plague, and Kirk stuns her and she dies. Maybe that's right. why he, they don't get out the phasers later, because he's afraid well, of killing them? I don't know. But they're not, they're not sick. They're not sick. I know, I know. No. So uh, then we have the, uh, McCoy finds out that the life extension was supposed to be caused by a chain reaction of new diseases that were developed <laughs> that went wrong. <laughs> now... It is interesting that if you were going to change, genetically alter people, you would use a virus a, yeah. a, with the yeah. chain load to, to, to change them. But yeah, that, like, what could possibly go wrong? We've invented this new virus that can prolong got, our life. Got out into the there, wild. Yeah. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns has a medical evaluation, and it's like he's got every disease known to man. It's like, yeah. juvenile diabetes? Yes. And it's like, ooh, as a result, I've, 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 I'm, I've become immortal. You know, all yeah. these diseases have canceled out. It's like, no, no, even the slightest breeze could, I, yes, I am immortal. <laughs> so the, uh, the children chant outside the lab, which gets everyone to run out of the lab. But why is, like, the kid, you know, John sneaks in, steals the communicators. Why are they not having their communicators on their belt? Where yeah. the red shirts and Janice weren't there, they were presumably off around. Why did they leave their communicators behind? Like, yeah, it. So yeah, plot hole. That that was that kind of drove me crazy a little bit. Uh, and uh, the important thing is, is the computers in original series couldn't communicate with the ship. They had yep. to 
yeah. call down and verbally tra- and convey data back and forth. Uh, that's why it's, the computers don't work unless they have the communicators. Because let's be honest, that that's not far above where real computers were in 1968. Yeah, you know they yeah. they really did not have the internet was in its very very infancy. Then right. I mean, it was still just like a being developed technology. So the idea that a computer could actually connect to another computer and pass data between them and work together is revolutionary for that right. time. And they didn't think of this idea of, yeah, maybe they've got a way where, you know, they can do a radio signal from this box to the box in the ship and, <laughs> you know, talk back and forth. Oh, no. No. Yeah. They, they all, another sign of the primitive computer technology at the time is the fact that Kirk more than once when they're talking to the ship tells them to clear the computer banks. Yep. Yeah. The implication being this, the computer cannot multitask. We're going to feed you this new problem and you're going to have to use all of the computer's active memory to solve it. Right. Right. So after a couple of days have passed, the, the disease is starting to work on their minds and their tempers. Kirk is a jerk to Janice, and she storms off. Like he, he just brushes past her, knocks an Erlenmeyer flask out of her hands to the crash to the ground. Uh, she storms off, and Kirk goes to comfort her, and it's awkward. <laughs> just it's, yep. it's just awkward. I always try to get you to look at my legs on the ship. Look at my legs, Captain. Look at them now. And she's. Got I, I thought I thought that scene was very effective. And it, she, I, I mean, you know, your mileage may vary, but yeah. I, she's really distressed because she clearly yeah. cares about her appearance. Right. And she's terrified of this plague that's in her. And she, like, pulls back part of her collar to show yep. on her upper chest. And we don't see anything that we right. shouldn't. But it's, it's on her, on, on her, on her yeah. collarbone area, she's got the plague there. She says, back on the ship, I would try to get you to look at my legs, which was a common thing in the 60s that women, you know, would do. There was the age of the miniskirt. Right. And that, and they're all wearing miniskirts. Yeah, exactly. On Star Trek. And so, but look at my legs now. And she's got this, you know, scab there and she puts her hand over it. And I thought it was very dramatically, I thought it was dramatically effective. But that was me. I, I think my my reaction to it is is... Because when I saw this, I was in the last time I saw this, because I haven't seen this in more than 30 years, I was young and it seemed kind mm-hmm. of weird and awkward. But I, I, I see your point. Mm-hmm. I see your point. Well, in any case, uh, he comforts Janice and gives him gives her a hug. And Miri sees this and gets jealous because she's 12. And there have been some other previous signs of jealousy. So this has been building. Right. So Miri goes to the Onlys and devises a plan for them to kidnap Janice. And then kidnap Kirk when he tries to get her, and uh, then you have this one kid who, who yeah. uh, he's uncredited who just goes bonk bonk on Mister Lovey Dovey. <laughs> yeah, and they start chanting bonk bonk. Yes. So um, was this a proto- Was this a uh, how they modeled uh, Bam Bam of the Flintstones? <laughs> yeah, right. right. Was this kid. <laughs> I think it would have been the other way around. Bam Bam should predate. Uh, yeah, bonk, you're, you're bonk. right. Yeah, because yeah. the yeah. Flintstones were mid mid sixties when they came out. Yeah. The so this scene has a couple of issues. So the first one is Miri doesn't understand what's happening. She just knows that the adults are trying to do something important and she's mad and this is a way to frustrate them. Yeah. I guess and get back at Janice and Kirk. She doesn't realize that this is going to result in everybody dying. Oh, and they've also established a ticking clock for why they need to 
solve this for the kids too, because food supplies are dangerously low in this area and the kids are going to run out of them in six months. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I don't even think, I don't think your survivalist supplies were going to last 300 years. I don't (laughs) think their shelf life is that long. I think these, I don't, and I don't think you had that many of them. I think these kids have already found a way to live off the land Yeah, in the last 300 years. So I, I don't this, know. I mean, Twinkies can last a long time. I mean, <laughs> they may be living yeah. off of every well, Twinkie in existence. <laughs> the other thing, though, that I, I don't like about this scene is Miri tells the other kids that J- she's talking about Janice. She says she's always asking me about the littlest onlys and who takes care of them and what if they get hurt and things like that. And okay, fine. It makes sense that, you know, this is Janice would ask questions like that. She would have motherly concern for these helpless children. So she could easily ask Miri about that. Mm-hmm. But we never see her doing it. No. Right. So this is informed character development instead of manifest character development. And. I, that's just bad writing. You've got a perfect opportunity to slip a little scene in earlier in the script where you reveal Janice's character by having her ask this question, and then it plays a role in the plot later. That's great. That's character-driving plot. But we don't see it. It's just this bare plot nub that's unsupported by previous character development. And then we don't see the next part, which is when they actually kidnap her, which they could have shown us rather yeah. than telling us again. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very very you know uh, odd d- choice there. One thing I, I, I thought about at this point is, like, where have the red shirts gone? Like, they were there in the first uh, yeah. uh, scene. Then they're mm-hmm. basically, they've, they've disappeared for three, four days. Like, they're, they haven't shown up at all in any of this stuff happening. And then they show up again at the very end. So th- that was a weird omission. Um, it, it it is weird they because they play basically no role in the plot. Yeah, and so they could have just had a smaller landing party and omitted those characters. Yeah, uh, well, they had so, to get some red shirts that survive. <laughs> right, they actually survive. <laughs> so uh, Janice is missing, and Kirk is losing it, and uh, <laughs> uh, he's very upset. And McCoy and Spock have either developed a vaccine or a beaker full of death, as Spock calls it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they need the computers because on the Enterprise, because without them, it could be a beaker full of death. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, so Kirk uh, ends up explaining to Mary that uh, she's going to get the disease. Have you heard of stage one trials? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So he's going to, uh, he tries to explain to Mary that she's going to get the disease and he hints around it why she feels different than she used to. Not She doesn't want to play with the little children anymore hinting at she's biologically maturing into a young woman and he's Mm -hmm. trying to tell her uh, but he's being very delicate about it yeah so he convinces her you've got to help me find janice not just for janice's sake but for your own sake and the other kids as well Mm -hmm. so she brings kirk to where john and the others are holding janice which is apparently a schoolroom and he tries to convince them to give him the communicators but instead they attack him which is a weird, creepy scene because they, like these kids are pummeling him with hammers and things like that, and then he sort of emerges and he's got this little trickle of blood coming down the side of his face, yeah. and he's like starts talking to them again as if nothing happened. Like, uh, so this scene is interesting, and again, one's mileage may vary, but this scene goes on for some time, yeah, mm. and Shatner has to hold the scene 
mm-hmm. as he's interacting with these other characters. He's the, I mean, Janice is there, but she's got like one line and it's like, Captain, look out. Right. So Shatner has to personally hold this scene together with all these kids. And I thought he did a, an effective job. Now, I would have tweaked some of the dialogue mm-hmm. to make it a little more realistic, but I thought it was pretty powerfully done. And then when they start wailing on him, mm-hmm. there's this zoom that yes. happens to this. There's a little girl standing on the teacher's desk, and she's got blonde hair, but she's got like a green wig on top of the blonde hair yeah. that she's like playing dress up with. And as Kirk is being beaten, the camera pans up and zooms in on the little girl who's just smiling, watching the beat down. <laughs> yeah. And I want to know whose daughter is that? And that's, <laughs> wow, that is creepy. It's like the little kid eating the candy cane in Shane during the gunfight. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I, I wrote that in my notes. So that is creepy. She's just like smiling as he's getting pummeled. You, you can imagine, you know, as, as they're filming, it's like, the guy daddy doesn't like is getting beat up. This is a good thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's Rodberry's daughter. Uh, I, yeah. no, I'm, just, I'm just joking. Uh, so he turns their game on them and tells them they have blood on their hands, you know, because they don't oh. like a... And they're not the only ones because Kirk, I mean, William Shatner, there's like a kid, a, a male, a boy. Oh, yeah. On the teacher's desk. And Kirk grabs him by the arm and throws him off the teacher's desk and onto the floor. Yeah. And it's like, that is not a stuntman. That is a kid. <laughs> and yeah. twists his wow. arm. Yeah. I mean, it looked like that kid got his arm twisted. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, the Chatner got a little too into that scene. So the, he tells them that they're, they are acting like grups now and they have blood on their hands. Meanwhile, McCoy won't wait any longer for the communicators he's he they're like because they're almost dead it's like they have a minute and a half left before they die right because yeah. that's how diseases work and figuratively uh, yeah and he injects himself with the cure and collapses and then that's when the red shirt finally shows up who should have been injected uh kirk meanwhile <laughs> that's what he's there for right uh, yeah kirk shows up with the communicators and the kids McCoy's unconscious, but the lesions on his face uh, start fading as they as they're watching. So this is a very fast acting cure. That's how things end on the surface mm-hmm. of the planet. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the the resolution on the bridge. We learn that the kids have been left with a medical team, and Starfleet's going to be sending teachers and advisors. And I'm thinking, yeah. could you? There's not that many that many of them. Couldn't you just like take them to a starbase? Well, there may have been kids surviving all over the planet. Right. Oh, I suppose. Yeah. This is just one community. And, yeah. and by the way, they call Space Central, not Starfleet Command. Right, right, right. I, they I haven't quite of... established Starfleet yet. That's true. That's true. Space Central. Yeah. The, the, at this point in the series, they were still working for the United Earth Space Probe Agency, sometimes called on screen USPA. <laughs> that's right. So <laughs> uh, we end with Rand telling Kirk that uh, Mary really did love him. And he responds cheekily. Uh, I never get involved with older women. We don't. We don't have the clarinet of humor, though. No, we do not have the clarinet of humor. That would be in bad taste, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, and then Spock warp back to one, uh, and Sp- and Spock says, "Captain, I am the science officer, not the helmsman. Talk to that guy." Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But so as I as I mentioned, I had not seen this uh, episode in thirty something years. Uh, I, I guess as a kid, this kind this this one creeped me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think the kids were a little creepy to me. 
Uh, and so I just it wasn't one of the ones I would go back and rewatch. So it's, it's been a long time since I saw it. it. It actually, as you mentioned, I think it holds up pretty well. I I yeah. think it's a it's a pretty good story, just despite the 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 you know the ways it falls short a little bit in some areas. But I I really thought it held up well. What do you, what do you guys think? Any or any final thoughts on this, Father Corey? You know, of course, as, as I've said before, this is really my first watch through TOS. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I've I've seen you know sporadic episodes and things like that, but this is you know so this is the first time I've seen this. And you know, one of my big complaints with a lot of TV shows is when they make the kids twelve going on thirty, right? And they act older, act yeah. older. And this could have been an episode where they could have done that because these are kids that are three hundred plus years old. You would think that they would still develop some of the reasoning and so on of adults in that time, but they don't do that. And yeah. that's actually not a bad thing, you know, that it doesn't make the kids look older than they really are. They actually, I think they acted, you know, the kids acted as kids do, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and I, I think that's, that's speaking very well. And I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's an episode again, watching it for the first time really holds up well mm. with, you know, some of the little complaints that we've talked about, but other than that, I mean, no, I think yeah. it's, I think it's a great episode. I think it's a really good episode. I like it a lot. I think the even though there are some you know plot holes in it, uh, once you accept the main thing of this is a Twilight Zone episode about what would have happened if if or what would happen if you know biological experimentation went out of hand and children had to live by themselves, it's well done. The performances are really good. The I mean, there's some slips, but it it. It's very effective overall. It's genuinely creepy. The makeup effects are creepy. Watching all of the rundown sets are creepy. Mm-hmm. I didn't like some of the yeah 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 stuff, but overall it was very good. Also, they hinted at one point that one reason for Mary and John's instability is because they were hitting puberty. And not just because of the disease, mm-hmm. but because of the emotional swings that people go through when they hit puberty. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately thought of Katie Kaboom from the <laughs> Animaniacs. It's like, yeah, abso- yeah, okay, so that makes sense. Teenagers <laughs> do get moody. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, interestingly, this, this episode was not shown very much in Britain. It was one of a handful of like four original series episodes. I mean, it apparently was broadcast in 1970 in Britain, but then it was not broadcast again until like the 90s. Wow. Because of some of the themes in it were considered too disturbing. And so it, with like Patterns of Force, which is the Nazi one, Mm -hmm. right, and stuff like that was not shown in, in Britain for a long time. It is interesting to think about that because you think of, well, of course, Doctor Who at that same time could be just as disturbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so one thing, just a final note on the whole, the identical Earth problem. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a Star Trek novel called, yeah. uh, called Forgotten History that uh, has it being an alternate version of Earth from a parallel universe that slipped across the barriers and then mm-hmm. eventually slips back. So. Just uh, yeah. In in his novelization, James Blish, who wrote the novelizations of all the original series episodes, yeah, 
which before VCRs was the only way yep. you could re-experience these unless you tape recorded them, which I did. <laughs> but in his version, he retcons it so it's not a duplicate Earth. It's yeah. a very different planet. Right, right. right. Fortunately, unlike Doctor Who, you don't have to worry about taking your tape recordings and, and having recreations of these episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. I think that'll about do it for this time. We'll we'll take a moment to thank our patrons and make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Frank V, Gray B, Cody C, Rob H, and Peter H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Miri? You can let us know by commenting at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the animated series episode, More Tribbles, More Troubles. Because more tribbles is never enough. Until in the pink tribbles. Until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you. Live long and prosper, and I'll get my glamour. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, no go!